0: times have you found yourself sitting where you're sitting, doing what you're doing, running where you're running, walking where you're walking, thinking, if only I could hear a really fantastic story about either someone I know or someone I've never heard of, but I want to be inspired and I want to hear great conversation and questions and I want to laugh and I want to cry and I want to feel something, but more than anything, I want to connect want to believe in the human spirit again because out there not in my ears or face to face I'm not feeling connected to humanity well then you've come to the right place this is talk to me and I am Liv Harrison and I cannot wait to introduce you to my friends to my family to people I love to people I barely know here's the deal I love people And all I want is for you to love them back. I remember eighth grade being the best year ever in junior high because you were the oldest in the school. The school I went to, junior high, middle school, whatever you want to call it, was sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And so eighth grade, you kind of ruled school and everything was super cool. I was in eighth grade in Houston. And the school I went to was amazing. It's it's like the best junior high I've ever like come across. One of the things that was a big part of eighth grade was the eighth grade dance. Only the eighth graders got to go. And I, I don't remember another dance happening at our junior high. Not that I can recall. This was it. This was the one and done junior high eighth grade dance. Big deal. Now, here's what's interesting. My father is the shopper in the family, my dad. So, if I ever needed anything, school clothes or anything fancy, my dad was the one that would take me shopping. Now, if it was a big deal, there's a place in Houston called the Galleria. And I knew it was a big deal if my dad was going to take me to the Galleria to get a dress. Well, this was what happened for the eighth grade dance. Was I was going to get to go to the galleria. Now, I had the biggest crush on this guy. Oh my god. I kind of want to say his name. <gasps> I forgot. Okay. You know what? I'm gonna do it. Jay Wright. Like anybody talks to that kid. And I promise he's not listening to this podcast. Anyway, biggest crush on Jay Wright. He did not ask me to if you're dance. <laughs> No one did, actually. Um, At the time, I had a best guy friend. I was always the girl that had a best guy friend. This is actually the first time in my life I don't really have a best guy friend right now, which is a big, big moment for me, I got to say, because I literally have had a best guy friend my entire life since I was a baby. And I really wanted my best guy friend to ask me, but he didn't. And then the guy I liked didn't. And so I had the decision that I know many girls have had to face and guys, let's be fair, to go to the big dance alone or in a small group. I had a group of girlfriends that I went with two, two girls, actually. And we decided to make it into a thing. We decided to make it into a slumber party at my house after the 8th grade dance. And it was at this really fancy country club. I mean, fancy country club. For those of you in the Houston area, it was at Raveno. (laughs) And, oh my gosh, it was so beautiful. It was everything I wanted. The dress was amazing. My hair and makeup at the time looked amazing. If you saw it. Which, man, I should find pictures for all these stories. But it is like... What was it? 1989? 1990? I mean, my hair would tell you the date. <laughs> you would look at my hair and be like, Yes, this was Miami Vice time. Or whatever was on to. You. Dallas. You know, dynasty. Anyway, I did hair and makeup. My parents gave me a really beautiful necklace, I remember. And I got to wear it with my dress. And I have to say, I picked out a pretty classic dress. I mean, it wasn't crazy late 80s, early 90s. It was pretty okay, you know? I mean, you could maybe wear it today. (laughs) But I do remember (laughs) that at the end of the night, two things happened. (laughs) One was, Jay Wright asked me to dance. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Oh, geez. I don't think I thought life could get better. Like, I feel like, well, that's it. Life. I mean, like, what more do you want than the boy that you like to ask you to dance? And wait, here's the kicker. Everyone gets to see you guys dancing. Huge. Huge. That was a big moment. Oh, my gosh. That was a big moment. And I remember the last song they played was Garth Brooks' I've got friends in low places. (laughs) And now I associate that song with like ending any major like dance event. And I feel like that's what we did like through high school, like homecoming, prom. I feel like every retreat, like we always ended with Garth Brooks and everybody putting their arms around each other. I'm sure everybody is sitting here going, yeah, Liv. Everyone ends with Garth Brooks. I've got friends in low places. All right, fine. For me, that was a big moment. But there is something about that first dance that you go to, whether or not you have a date or you don't, it was a moment for me. And what I love is hearing a different perspective about that from my guest, who the first time I even heard of her, she was on a stage. (laughs) I had no idea who she was, and what's really beautiful, I had no idea what she was going to become to me in my life. She is a huge part of my life today, and I had no clue when I saw her up on that stage sharing what God put her on this planet to share, which is her heart. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mary Lineberg. Oh my goodness. Mary Linenberg, who my friend Taylor says I mispronounced your last name, but you know what? I think No, you actually pronounced it right. Mary, welcome. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me, Liv. (laughs) Listen, I've been wanting to have this conversation, and I've got to be honest, I've paced myself to get here. I feel like I feel like there are people you want to have conversations with, but there's timing. And you're a person of timing. This is something you and I have in common. This is true. We have a lot in common, which people might not realize, or the people that know us do realize... Um, you're just a better version of everything I want to be when I grow up. So.
1: Oh, very untrue. My friend, very untrue, but thank you for the flattery. I'll take it. I am. I, I have no issue with that. See, timing. Please adore Timing! Me. No, oh, you're adorable. Okay. Tana's <laughs> going to yell at me for
0: that noise. Anyway, <laughs> how, how are you doing? You look absolutely fantastic. I know you are in COVID like the rest of us. And I, oh, every show I decide, do I talk about COVID or not? But I feel like it's going to be here forever. So. Might as well name it like
1: 2020 will be defined by a pandemic <laughs> called COVID. Yes.
0: But you're living life. You're over here having like dinner parties and all the things I'm inside, like a cave person. I'm going to be a movie when they open up
1: the door and I see light
0: and airplanes. <laughs> okay. So to-
1: let's talk be clear to about my dinner parties, right? <laughs> These are people that are like in my life. I am not opening my house to like the whole world other than through social media. But no, we've, um, we made a decision once we got into stage three here in Vir- I live in Virginia. And um, I looked at Jerry and I'm like, okay, we're done. We're at stage three. People can wear masks if we know where they've been. And most of my people uh, in my life are more germaphobic than I am. So, you know, I need to make sure they're okay with my sort of messy, you know, lifestyle. And, uh, because they might feel that we would give them COVID. So you know. <laughs> you're a super spreader.
0: The way around. If it start, if the numbers start going up in Virginia, we know to go to the Lineberg house because know it's my that's fault. where it's coming it's nice. from. <laughs> no, I love it. Well, here's, what's great. And here's, I have to be honest, Mary, I don't think I knew if I could handle your interview yet because my shtick, if we're allowed to say that word, I don't know what words we're allowed to say anymore in 2020. I feel like every word we say is wrong. I don't long. know. But my shtick is I don't interview the normal things that people are going to interview. And you're Mm -hmm. difficult because, again, like myself, we are both known for being very vulnerable and real. There's not a lot left out there.
1: (laughs) What do you want to know, Liv? I wrote a book. I've written a second one. Like, really? I I answer any and all questions. This interview is now over. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody wants, like, the scoop. You know, what's the one thing she hasn't (laughs) shared? Um the one thing I haven't shared. Uh I don't think see. we're gonna get it because I really like elastic pants. <laughs> no, I think you covered that. I think you covered that. Oh, I have I okay. Well then no, I've got nothing. There you go. You know That's everything. okay because look, I said a lot of prayers before this,
0: and I want <laughs> to I want to still get the, I'm I'm determined, Mary. I am gonna this is gonna happen. Is this is gonna shoot me to fame. This interview right here is the
1: shoot you to fame. You're already up in the, the, atmo, tipping you know, point. the atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> you want to go? You shoot me to fame. I'm like, hi, Liv. My name's Mary. Do you remember oh, me? Oh, God
0: bless America. Way back in all right, the day. I'm your check. All right, fine. I'll buy some. All right. I need to get some makeup. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I do with that shimmering thing you're wearing. So here's the thing. Yes. My my focus is to focus on people and their success. What's really interesting about you and I is that we kind of met when you kind of got started. I mean, yes. you were. You were kind of at the beginning is when I, when my girlfriends pushed me in front of you and they were like, oh my gosh, our friend Liv is just like you. And I was like, I want to punch you all in the throat, you know, it's one of my favorite stories, but that's kind of when you started and then you wrote a book and then you started, you know, and then we just kind of developed. I'm like right behind you. I'm like, just, I'm just riding your little train.
1: You're not I'm behind I'm on your anymore, It's okay, just fun. Let's believe just, that okay. about yourself.
0: <laughs> your no second worries. book is fantastic. Everything is going wonderful, but here's what I really want to know. Little mm-hmm. tiny Mary. Let's go back, shall we? <laughs> to- do we have
1: to? It's <laughs> <That's> not really. <laughs>
0: to, yeah, to little girl Mary. Mary. Right. Little tiny um,
1: Mary. Mary was never tiny, tiny. But okay. See.
0: see, this is why we're soul sisters. One day we're going to live in a commune. So. <laughs> I'm not sure Jerry's
1: ready for that, but okay. I'm- Jerry and Nate might have something to God, say about that.
0: Jerry. Oh, I love that man.
1: Yeah, I do um,
0: too. Okay, but you're, you're little though, for real. You're young. You're young. which you're young now, but you're young without your your beautiful things that you put on your face, which I love. What did you want to do? Like, what was it that you were growing up and you were like, all right, listen, great. I'm the chubby girl. I got a great personality. I think this is where you and I are like, same-sies. is it that you wanted to do? I wanted to be an astronaut. Ask me how that's going.
1: (laughs) Well, you're in the atmosphere. You just don't have a uniform. That's all. Um, I wanted to be a mom. Really? I wanted to be a wife and a mother to a lot of kids. That's what I I wanted from the time I can ever remember. I wanted to be a mom. You wanted
0: to be a mom. So
1: that was it. I, I had no desire to be like, my dad was an attorney My mom was, you know, she worked in in HR and later, you know, after there are eight kids in 10 years. So my mom was rather busy for the first, you know, 16 years of her marriage. And then she went back to work with my sister, who's the youngest, was in high school. And so she went into HR. So my mom always wanted to be out in the workplace. I... I was like June Cleaver in my heart, like seriously. I wanted the pearls and I wanted the husband that was successful so I could go shopping whenever I wanted. I would have, you know, 4.7 children. Uh, we would be at the Catholic school. We would be at the, at the uh, you know, club on Saturday while Jerry played golf. I mean, these are things that I had in my mind. Where did I get that idea? Because that is not how I grew up. I have no idea. I just that's what I wanted. I wanted a family and a home. And then I met Jerry and we got married and we started on that path and you know, it all sort of imploded. Do you say that because, uh, you know,
0: you, you're so open about your daughter, Courtney, and Mm -hmm. you're so um, just very real about the grief and all the things around that. But a lot of the grief you talk about is after she passed and what life mm-hmm. is about before. But what about the grief that happened when she was diagnosed? Because that's a different grief. Is that it what is. this is, that part of your dream?
1: Yeah, that's what, what kind of set me, got me off the path, okay? Was I didn't know how to grieve the expectations of the life I wanted right? We all go into, if God calls you to the vocation of marriage, if he calls you, gives you a spouse, we all go into it with wounds from our our families of origin, with sins from our past that maybe we acknowledge, maybe we don't. We bring a whole plateful of delightfulness into that sacrament. And then as you're walking with this person um, that you're supposed to love until death you part, you really want them to be dead and apart, you know, because you're like done because they, they haven't met the expectation you had in your mind of what you want them to be and who you want them to be. And so uh, Jerry and I came into our marriages, both with addictions that we didn't recognize. And then we had a special needs child. And so this life of June Cleaver and the, and, you know, the size 10, five foot 10, size 10, hey, let's go to dinner every Friday night, date night kind of life and my kids are perfect and well-behaved and smart as a whip, and all of those things turned into basically the Adams Family nightmare. You know, like everything in the house was breaking, the people were breaking. Courtney, my my daughter, who I had waited my whole life to have a girl. Um, I grew up with six brothers. I was so happy. She would never get married. She would never date. She would never do any of these things. And. And then I'm surrounded by all these women that their kids are doing all the things I wanted my kids to do and my kids weren't doing them. And so I had to, I just basically quit my life. You know, I sat down in the middle of all of it and said, all right, God, I pretty much hate you. And I'm not speaking to you right now. You suck. And I'm out. How long
0: did it take you to get to that place to hate God? Was that immediately? Like, as oh soon gosh,
1: as- like year one, I, I would say probably Courtney was about a year and a half old. Okay. And I was topping at it about 310 pounds. And, you know, uh, that's right around the time within the next year is when I discovered Jerry's addiction to pornography, which was just like another hit to my self esteem and to our intimate life. And my addiction to food was right out there. Nobody wanted to talk about it. But, you know, when you make three pounds of brownies and you eat two of them before you tell anybody that you made the three pounds of brownies, You know, that's that's the problem.
0: problem. I share with people all the time that I think that I'm able to be so vulnerable and real because people who have lived, and I hope this isn't offensive to you, but I'll talk about myself Mm -hmm. as a morbidly obese person, you know, my highest weight was 458 and to live in that space. When I would walk in a door, everybody knew what my problem was, right? So even though I'm like, oh, this big personality or smiley or whatever I'm known to be, they I'm the fat girl. girl. And they obviously know I have an issue. Now, someone who has an addiction will use pornography, or maybe they're addicted to drugs, or they're an alcoholic, We, or maybe they're into child porn. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of other things that people are into. They can keep that quiet and secretive. But you and I walk in the door, and everybody knows our biggest issue. Well, and you
1: add to that. I'm pushing a child in a wheelchair. So you have an extra Just, thing, an extra layer. I have an extra, you thing. have an extra it's layer like of people knowing I was stuff. walking around. Yeah, I'm five foot 10. I was 300 something pounds. And then I'm pushing a wheelchair. Wow. And then I have a son who's literally a certified genius. Who's so smart? He's stupid. That's what I call them. They wrap themselves around the tree. They have no common sense. God bless them all, and they will, you know, pioneer our country to where they need to be. But somebody needs to remind them to brush their teeth. And uh, you know, I've got this kid over here throwing a fit because, you know, he he really struggled with all the emotions dealing with the sister who, um, you know, couldn't talk to him, was not normal, was not what the world saw as a typical kid. And he didn't have anybody else. We made the decision not to have any other children before Courtney ever had her first seizure. And if there is one decision in my life that was made out of fear, that if I could go back to that moment and change, that would be it. Really? Because, oh yeah, because on the day Courtney died and we were burying her, I have a photograph of my son with his hands on his sister's casket. And the look on his face of such devastation and how alone he was, there was nobody else that understood what he was going through. No one, not his cousins, not his friends. He was totally and completely alone. And that was the decision his parents made for him 25 years earlier.
0: I I hear that because I only have two kids. Again, something you and I have in common. Mm-hmm. And I come from a huge family. My mom is the oldest of 10. And my kids are seven and a half years apart. We don't have the special needs element to our story, mm-hmm. but I had to have a medical hysterectomy because of my medical issues and the guilt I have, even though, you know what I mean? Because as the person, I don't know how you feel. And I would love to, to talk about that. Like, how do you feel as being the one who has issues as the mother, you know, because as mothers, mm-hmm. we're supposed to be the ones who are strong and who are there. I've been sick. I've been the Courtney quote unquote, really not the same, but medically, Mm -hmm. I mean the the amount of money my family has had to spend on me is tremendous. My husband's a saint. It's difficult when you're the parent. And I I know you don't have the same things of that, but I know you have some elements of that. What is that like for you as the mom trying to keep it together?
1: Yeah, well, that and that's the thing. You're trying to keep it together. And here's here's the big secret that nobody really wants to talk about. You can't keep it together. You're not meant to keep it together. God breaks us in different ways or allows us to break in different ways, is a better way to put it, for our good and his glory. Now, when you're fighting that breaking, it's pretty much hell on earth. You know, that's what leads us to morbid obesity. That's what leads us to addiction. When we are fighting. Against what is the correct path for our life, right? And we don't acknowledge it. We don't acknowledge it as a spiritual battle. We acknowledge it as a lack of self confidence. We acknowledge it as a lack of faith. We acknowledge it as a lack of this or a lack of that. And what it comes down to is complete and total surrender in a plan that you don't know what the next thing is going to be. It is a level of trust that, you know, God is God and you are not. And my children do not belong to me. They belong to God. They were gifts from him. And so I recently, uh, you know, we we talk about grief and all the different stages of grief. and, and, And Courtney taught me how to grieve in time to what was happening in real time. I remember the day of her special needs prom. I hate that day because it wasn't a prom. I mean, yes, it was a prom in quotes, but it wasn't the prom I had. It wasn't going shopping with my mom for the dress. It wasn't being nervous and talking about how nervous you were because this really nice boy from your chemistry class was coming to pick you up and, and was he going to kiss you? And what do you do if he didn't? Um, Because, you know, that's the greatest desire of your 17 year old heart. You know, Um, did I look good in the dress? Did I not look good in the dress? Were we going to see my other friends? What was happening? All of those things. You remember your prom night, you know, and Courtney wasn't going to have that, you know, she was in a dress that looked beautiful on her, but she hated it. She didn't like the feel of it. And you could tell she was uncomfortable. She hates shoes. We're putting shoes on her. And I did the ultimate betrayal as her mother. And I made her wear a hair bow because Courtney hates anything on her hair, hated anything on her hair. She, there's one picture we have and she just looks so pissed off. It's just awful. And you're looking at that picture going, I hear you, sister. This is not this is not what we both thought this day would be. And, you know, was it fun? Sure. Was it inspiring to see all the kids dancing and doing their thing? Absolutely. Was it the same as my prom? No. Did I come home and cry? Yes. Um, did I have to make a choice to see the positive instead of the negative? Yes. And that is what grief has taught me. Grief, you yeah. have to... F- face it. You you can't ignore grief. Grief will destroy you. You have to face it. And then you have to feel it. You have to feel all the things. And that's a lot of feelings for a girl who already has a lot of feelings. And then you add on more of the lot of feelings and it overwhelms you. And it puts you in this dark space where you can't see light or hope or hear anything positive. And then as you're feeling it, what I have learned in my walk is that I have to let it flow out of me and back into the hands of Jesus because he died on that cross for that moment. He died for my grief. He died for my sin. He died for my doubt. He died for my daughter. He died for me. He died for you and for everything we would ever, ever go through. It is the greatest gift that has ever been given to humankind. And I spent the first 12 years of my married life denying that gift. And then there came a point where I couldn't anymore. And so, you know, I broke. And in the breaking came light. And in the breaking came hope. And in the breaking came accompaniment. Came love. True love. Because to love is to want the good of another. To lust is to want to objectify them. In the breaking came healing. And it was really hard. And that healing continues today. It's not done, because I'm not dead. And so I will continue to grieve. And I will continue to walk in hope. And I will continue to deny fear, a space in my head and in my heart. And that's something that I realized just last week, that I had been holding on to a scarcity mindset when it comes to the blessings in my life because the last six years and, you know, since you and I have met, what, three years ago, four, my life has really just opened up. So many opportunities, so many beautiful things are happening, so many blessings, and yet Courtney's still dead. It doesn't change that. And so how I look at it and how I was looking at it was out of fear that because God took Courtney, he would take the other blessings too. And so I have been grasping at things that are not mine to grasp at. I have been doubting God's provision and his uh, faithfulness. And, you know, I was in spiritual direction on Wednesday and it was like, boom, there it is. And I thought, oh my gosh, I gotta give that up too. (laughs)
0: so So many things to give up. Yeah. All all the the things. things.
1: And that's the whole point is that you have to give it up. It's not mine. So, you know, my job is to listen and to just keep moving and to do what he asked me to do, whether I feel like it or not, you still got to move.
0: So is that what happened? Okay. 12 years ago when Mm -hmm. you broke I'm guessing, assuming that those 12 years were filled with just survival and anger and food and hurt and pain and regret and all All the things just gross and you just really just got up and made it to the next day, barely.
1: Yep. One box of macaroni and cheese at a time. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. So, (laughs) wow. Sorry, everybody. I just had a moment. That was like, I'm like, are you inside? All the time when I talk to Mary, I'm like, are you in here? Like, that's just crazy. Yes. Mac and cheese, carbs and cheese. So what happened 12 years ago that it wasn't a box of mac and cheese? What happened to where it wasn't surviving? What
1: happened? What was the shift? The shift happened in, really, it was in in our sex life, in our intimate life. Um, I had come to a place I, I had entered into in order. Okay. So back up out of fear, like at year three, year two, year three in our marriage. Um, I didn't, you know, I went to a junior college. I didn't have the degree. My husband has two master's degrees, whatever. Um, I couldn't earn what he earns. And so therefore I was terrified he would leave. And if he left, how would I raise these children right on a Walmart salary? How would I do that? So out of fear, of being left, of being alone and abandoned, I decided that, fine, if he was going to do the porn thing, then we're going to do the porn thing. If that's what keeps him here, we're going to do it. And so I entered into that disease and um, with him for seven, actively for seven years. And the breaking came when I realized that when we made love to one another, he was not seeing me. Right. Right. And so he was seeing someone that he had seen on a computer screen or on the television. And I couldn't do, I just couldn't do it anymore. I thought I finally was in a place where the pain of moving out of that space was less than the pain of remaining in that space. And that is the breaking point for all of us. When we see that the pain to stay is more than the pain to go, then get the hell out. And I remember I had, I, I, Witnessed him, witnessed, you know, he was watching porn. We made love. He called out somebody else's name. No. That he had just oh, heard. Wow.
0: And was that the and first time I went that to the happened? kitchen?
1: For okay. The first time. I went to the kitchen and I made three pans of brownies while he was doing some schoolwork or whatever he was doing because he was getting his master's at the time. And I ate two of them as I was making them. The kids were sleeping in bed. This was like, you know, 1130 at night, whatever. Um, I felt so sick over that memory over that, what had happened. I was like heart sick and then I got physically ill, but I couldn't throw up. And so I went into the bathroom and I had eaten two pounds of brownies and I felt so ill and I just wanted to throw up like every good bulimic out in the world. Like, please, Lord, just give me the gift of bulimia in this moment and let me be able to vomit. Okay. Like that was my prayer. Seriously. And so I'm trying to gag to throw up the brownies and Jerry comes into the bathroom. He's like, what are you doing? And I had had it. (laughs) It was like, I'm trying to vomit you out of my life. You said that I did. And I'm like, I'm done. I I can't. Did you know what you did? And he didn't even realize. And if I, I, sometimes I go back to that moment and I remember the look on his face. He was devastated. Like he didn't even know it. And he just looked at me and he goes, what? And I went through it all again. And I said, I need to vomit. I need to get this out. I I am killing myself with food. I'm afraid to commit suicide because my children will have no one. I am killing myself slowly with everything I put in my mouth. And it's because I have allowed this evil in my life. And because I love you so much, And I want you to love me back so much that I was desperate enough to open that door. And now I cannot do this anymore because I will be dead. And I remember laying on the cold bathroom floor, just weeping, the kind of weeping that gives you a a migraine you know, the whole body kind of weeping. And he sat on the floor with me and my head was in his lap and he just held me. And all he kept saying was, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. Like he truly didn't know. He didn't understand the depth to which that devastation was happening. And so I sat up. I don't know how long we were there, hours. I don't think we slept that night, to be honest. I don't really remember all of the time details. But I do remember that I sat up and I looked at him and I said, you have a choice to make. I said, you either choose me as I am and our children or you pack your bags and go. Because to live without you, if I have to live as a single woman, married single woman for the rest of my life because I was Catholic and there was no divorce in my family and that wasn't happening, then I was going to do that. Like I had come to that place. And he said, please don't leave. He goes, we'll fix this. I'll do whatever we need to do. And I said, you say that so easily, but I don't think you understand what that means. And neither one of us understood what that meant, but he made a choice. And if there is one thing my husband will tell you (laughs) is that he says all the time, I may be wrong, but I am never uncertain. I am never uncertain. And he isn't. When he makes a decision, it may be the wrong decision, but he does not question himself in that decision. And he goes with it. And if he fails, he fails. And he learns and he moves on. It's one of the greatest uh, gifts that he has. It is annoying as hell because I don't have it at all. I question every decision. I question all the 50 million layers of the decision. I question all the things. And I exhaust him on a regular basis because he's like, Mary, let's just do this. I'm like, do what? Like, do we do it this way or that way? Or how do we do? What is the nuance of this? And he just shakes his head and he goes, when you're ready to do it, just let me know. We'll go. (laughs) Until then, it's on you. But that night began a restoration of our marriage. It took 13 more years. Um, Did we view porn again after that? Yeah, a couple of times. Um, it took us probably a good mm, three years to actually make it through a year without making that mistake. But here's the thing about porn with alcoholism. You can walk away from a bottle with food. You can walk away from the brownie with drugs. You can walk away from where you get the drugs with porn. It stays in your mind because it's always there. It's something you've, it, it remains with you forever. It's that's why it's so difficult to heal from it because The discipline you have to have in your mind during intimate moments, sexual moments, uh, just flirting with your spouse, the language you use, the clothing you wear, how you talk to each other in the most intimate moments of your life, that all has to be changed because it has to go from objectification to appreciation, from lust to love. And that takes a complete retraining of your mind and of your life. But it began that night. What
0: What year was that, Mary?
1: That was, um, Courtney was like 1992. That was like 1995.
0: What year did, how, what year did Courtney pass? Like three years. We were three, three
1: or four years into marriage, five years, somewhere in there. Okay. Early. I discovered it earlier than that. Um, gosh, probably. Well, that's when I discovered it. So this was this moment that I'm describing now that was in the two thousands. That was like, that was after being active with it for like seven years, somewhere in the mid 2000s. So you think 1990, I can't no, you're do math. Live, you're no, you're good.
0: Math. I wanted to see. <laughs> I wanted. Uh, no, no, no. Do I math. don't want you to do math. No, you're pretty. You're but no, just what, pretty. what
1: the healing really truly began in 2007 like that was the breakthrough okay. for us. We had been in this space. We had been trying. We had started going to marriage counseling. We started going to individual counseling. We got spiritual directors. Nobody knew about porn addiction. Nobody was talking about porn addiction. Our pastor didn't know what it was. He was like, Oh, that's what men do, but it's a sin. And we'll just, you just go to confession. No, no, no. That's that's not what it is. You know, now we have Integrity Restored, this beautiful program that you can go through. We have um, Matt Frad and his things, Jason Everett. We have all of these beautiful resources that didn't exist in 2000, 2001. You know, and when we went to Christopher West Theology of the Body at the request of our pastor who wanted us to be marriage mentors, which is just a joke in itself, um, we we heard the truth of how your body is a reflective of God's love of you and how when you truly love with your body, we speak love through our, our bodies. And that was the first time my husband, it really truly landed with him that he had treated me like a prostitute that he was the spiritual head of our home, whether he wanted to be or not, but that God had ordained him to be. And that if he didn't lead us out of this to complete and total restoration, we were never going to get out of it. And so on day three, in October of 2007, on the back porch of Black Rock, Pennsylvania, this beautiful back porch, he got, you know, he asked my forgiveness after we had both gone to confession And my confession lasted like an hour and a half because it was all on sexual sin and his confession lasted longer. And uh, he got down on one knee and asked me to marry him again. And we renewed our wedding vows on that back porch. But after we had asked and given forgiveness to one another for everything that had been done, and we had already been walking this healing journey for probably close to five years at that point, five or six years. And then our complete healing happened two years ago, when for the first time, you know, that began this beautiful journey. But for the first time, my husband stepped into the spiritual headship of our home. And he did it while we were on retreat with a 100 teenagers in uh, out by the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland. And he spoke to the young men about the truth of addiction, and how to be a man of God. And then he led with you must be the spiritual leader of your home. And to listen to him give that talk, That was an answer to prayer that I had started praying when I married him 30 years previous, 29 years previous, 29 years it took for that prayer to be completely and totally answered beautifully. And how he spoke so eloquently about being a man of God, and how he had done it all wrong, and how God was making it all right, these young men got to witness the miracle moment of healing. There is no shame anymore. Did we sin? Yes, we did. Were we living in mortal sin for decades? Yes, we were. Does God forgive, redeem, restore, and renew? Absolutely every single day. Do we protect our marriage in a way that we have never done so before? Absolutely. Do I cherish him? Yes, I do. Do I love him with my very life? Is he worth the discipline and the sacrifice that it takes to remain in a positive headspace in a in a positive heart space and in in a state of grace absolutely but it took decades to get there and a lot of people want it to be tomorrow you know they they want instantaneous change and that's just not how god works i mean he can work a miracle but it's not typical <laughs> and you have to be willing to do the work and all the work involves one thing, and that's surrender.
0: Speaking of surrender, this is the question that I ask all of my guests, and I think this is the perfect time for this question. So what had a quiet down in your life, Mary, for you to hear God?
1: What, a- <laughs> oh my gosh. what had to what had quiet, a quiet down, down for you to hear, hear God? I had to stop talking. <laughs> Let's just start there. You know, I had to stop talking. Um, I had to, well, there's a couple of moments, you know, there's that moment with Courtney, that moment of acceptance with Courtney when she was seven months old and we knew she would be blind. We had given her a medication that we thought would help her. And in turn, it took her sight and she had an allergic reaction. So like seven to nine months, there was a moment there where I literally remember in Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, Maryland, physically in my mind, you know, like having like a dream state kind of thing where I put Courtney in God's hands. And I said, fine, however you wanna do this, we'll do this. I had to surrender her and I did. Now I took her back the next day, but I had to surrender her in that moment, you know, let's be real. And then there was a moment of surrender when she died. Um, But before that, there was a moment of surrender with my son when he was going through post-traumatic stress and depression, dealing with all the trauma in his life, where, again, it was all about surrender. I had to be quiet, sit down, arms open, and just remove everything that I had been holding on so tightly to. And then for me, the most difficult thing in my life is to receive another's love. And so to feel worthy of that sacrifice and it is a primary wound that exists in my life from when I was a small girl and um, God is still healing that, you know, he's every year we come to a different level of healing and to a different level of acceptance and to a different level of surrender. He keeps asking me out of my comfort and into this close intimate relationship, which is hard and I got to let go of more stuff and I I have to fill my life with him. And then the ultimate moment of surrender was the day my daughter died. You know, she never belonged to me. Our children don't belong to us. They belong to God. And I had to literally physically put her in God's hands. And then walking these past six years, it's been surrender after surrender after surrender. Because my life today is nothing. It looks nothing like I ever thought it would look when I was a young wife. It looks nothing like I thought it would look in my thirties or forties. And now I'm 53 years old. And I feel like I'm just beginning this brand new season and it's big and it's bold and everything I have gone through and learned and every mistake I've made now God will take and he is creating something beautiful out of the ashes. And I'm excited to see where it goes. I'm a little nervous to see where it goes. But again, all for me, I have to be quiet and I have to receive. And typically that happens in adoration. You know, a lot of people go into adoration and they, they take all the things with them. I can't. I go into adoration and I sit there and I look at my God. And I apologize and I get it all out, you know. And then I sit quietly. And he usually is very, very sweet, and uh, sometimes he's a little convicting, but very sweet in that. Thank you for being quiet and just sitting with me. You know, and uh, I don't do quiet easily, but it has to happen.
0: I'm listening to your story, which I know, and I'm I'm thinking and comparing it to things in my life. We're so similar in our wounds, not how they got there but we're similar in the same wounding. And I know we're not unique. I know that that's something that a lot of people struggle with, but I think some of us have a deeper, darker pit of that wound of of not receiving love than others. And it's so easy for us to give love, but not receive. What I'm finding in my life is that that is connected to something about my lack of forgiveness for myself. I didn't realize Mm -hmm. that that's what the root of my, not able to receive love is because I lack the skill to self-forgive. Like, I just don't even know how to do that. And I'm guessing that you probably came up with that skill set as a child and took on things that happened to you and blamed yourself. Or if you ever did mess up, then you wouldn't get the love and then you couldn't forgive or whatever the cycle is that you put yourself into
1: that then... That would be it. That's very well. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. It's called shame. And I'm really good at holding on to all the shame and, uh, and the expectation of what others had of me and letting them down and all of it. Yes. Yes.
0: And so then that went into, you know, fine then. And then the self-medication, which was food Mm -hmm. and,
1: uh, and then sex
0: and then sex and yeah, same. And so how are you at with the self-forgiveness because I'm sitting here thinking about the Courtney situation when she was a baby and, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and seeing that bridge from when you were a young girl of these decisions you made affected your daughter. And I think as parents, Mm -hmm. even if you're not a parent, right, no matter who, who you are, the decisions you make and that there's some choices that you make, they're permanent. You can't, you cannot make them. And whether if it was with knowledge or not, even as a human, we're like, Oh, but Mary, like, How would you know? Like, it's a seven-month-old. You don't know their list of allergies. Like, who knows that? You know, and doctors are telling you to do these things. How do you reconcile yourself or have you? Have you actually ever forgiven yourself for choices that you've made? Where are you at? I guess that's what I'm asking. Where are you at now with self-forgiveness at 53 years old? I'm free. What does that mean?
1: I'm free. That means I have done... The hard work of unbinding all of the chains, not, I, I should say all of the ones that I've recognized, let's put it that way. Cause there's still more, there's always more whenever you excavate things in your heart and your soul, there's always more. That's that, that's that deeper walk with Christ, right? You get comfortable and you're like, I, I've forgiven myself for this. I've forgiven this person for this. I've asked for forgiveness for this okay, we're good. We're good. And then God goes, Oh, step a little closer to me. And I'm like, Oh, we're not so good. What about this? Where'd that come from? Well, it's like a pile of rocks, right? Every time you, you lift off a pile of, you know, one of the rocks, there's still other rocks there. And now you get to see the ones that are in the middle that you didn't see before. So it's, it's a huge excavation of sin and of shame. Um, I still struggle with forgiving myself. Um, when I make decisions, uh, that I know I shouldn't be making or may harm another in reputation or in feeling or whatever. Um, but I am so much more self-aware of my weaknesses. You know, I, I finally, for the first time in my life, took the strength finders thing. That was was life-giving to me. That explained so much. I had no idea. So my number one strength is positivity. That's
0: my strength I know soccer. <laughs> yes. wait let's do our top. my five number goals. two
1: let's go. my number two is str- oh, okay. strategic I'm woo
0: winning others over
1: that's well, my number three what's your <laughs> and my number four is um relationship or something and then I can't remember the other yeah, one but so but fun. three out of my five are all relationship builders okay which is why you and I get yeah, along so
0: shocking.
1: well. um I know, shocking right? um but I didn't know what the negative side of those were. So the negative side and my charisms are wisdom and mercy and hospitality. So wisdom, no, am I the smartest person in the room? No, but my life has led me to an understanding and I am not afraid to tell you the truth. If I see you standing in a pit of sin and we are in relationship with one another, you and I are going to have a conversation about how my desire for you to be free needs to lead to your desire for you to be free and then let God make you free, you know, like I'm not afraid to tell you the truth of what I see. Mercy is I'm not afraid of your hard things. I have had women and prayed with women and over women who have sat there and they're in the middle of addiction themselves or they've had affairs or they're, they're, they're suicidal and they're afraid to tell anybody. And I'm like, I'm not afraid to hear this. I am not afraid to pray with you. I am not afraid to send you the name of a psychiatrist to help you. I am not, what do we need to do? To help you those are all the good parts right positivity i love with my life i am a hopeful person i'm a hell of a lot of fun to be with and i see the positive of things so what are the negatives of that the negatives are i struggle to hear bad things hard things i can't it's hard for me to hear them all at once it's not that i can't endure it but like i don't watch the news because I feel everything, and I see injustice, and I see harm, and I see sin, and I'm like, I can't fix that, so I can't take that in. Um, I can on small amounts, and that's what I've learned how to do. Like, okay, we have to be in the world, Mary, not of the world, but you've got to figure this out, so I'm able to open the door a little bit at a time. Okay, mercy, what's the bottom part of mercy. I don't forgive myself. I am not merciful with myself. I will be so merciful with you, but I will take myself to the woodshed and leave myself there. Okay. Wisdom. I will call you out on your truth, but I'm going to hide my truth in the closet. And we're not going to look at it. We're not going to acknowledge it. Okay. So there's always a negative part to to the positive parts of your life. And that to me has been the key to self-forgiveness. It's been the key to letting go of shame. It's been the key to um, stepping into a new season of life with um, this freedom of great. That is your opinion, but I don't have to attach it to my life because opinions are like bums. Everyone has one, <laughs> and so that's really not how I say that, but it will be for <laughs> this show. And you know, I, I okay, great. That is your opinion, and that is your experience, and and I acknowledge your experience, and I acknowledge your opinion, but. But that's you. That's not what God's asking of me. It's brought me to this place where I can be in a room of women, like at at the Genius Conference, and I can look at the giftings of all of these beautiful, awesome, incredibly smart and intelligent and talented women, and I can look at all of them and celebrate them and not feel like, oh, crap, I'm not them. I need to go home now that's the old Mary. I don't do that anymore. So I celebrate, not compare. I encourage and I don't envy. Right? There is joy, not jealousy. And I work very hard in my spiritual life and in my emotional life to remain in that place. And when doubt creeps in, and when the lack of trust for God and the plan for my life creeps in, like it did last week when I had this big revelation of scarcity, like I was afraid that God would take it all away. What's going on? I have to look at what's going on in my life. I'm not sleeping well. Okay. So that means I need to adjust the caffeine. I need to adjust, you know, the exercise. What do I need to do to sleep? Well, Um, I'm not having time. With my relationships, right? With my best friend, with my husband one-on-one, with our son and his beautiful girlfriend, with our oh yes. What? Allie Hoffman's <gasps> off the chain. She's guys, off. this she is breaking
0: have. news. This
1: is like you wanted to know something that nobody else knows. The there it is.
0: Spell it.
1: So everybody <laughs> the, people that are listening to this. At every Genius Conference, I love Allie Hoffman. Oodles of doodles. I we love all her do. so much. I have my, I have the greatest desire in my life was for her to be my daughter-in-law. And so I was trying to figure out, I would tease her all the time, you know, how to get her together with my son. Well, the Lord took care of that. Um, no, it's not Allie. Allie is on her own track of life, but um, my son is dating a beautiful young lady um, named Jessica and the way the Lord brought them together was... Um, my son had a Catholic match account that he was going to deactivate because he had had many dates with all of these lovely women and nothing was going anywhere. And he's very frustrated. And when he went to deactivate the account, there was one text message there. And so he didn't look at it. He came to me and he's like, mom, I'm going to go see Courtney. And that's what Jonathan does when he um, struggles with something. He always goes to his sister's grave and he sits there and they talk about things. Now that might sound odd to people, but when you've cared for another person the way Jonathan cared for his sister, that relationship will always exist. And so he went to her grave and he came home and he had the smile on his face. And I said, what did she say? And he goes, I'm gonna go answer the text. I'm like, okay, cool. So he answered the text and 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 it was Jessica and these two um, chatted for like a week and then they went on a date and then they went to holy hour and they did all of these great, wonderful Catholic things. And then on date three, I think it was three or four, she told him how she reached out to him. She had seen his profile. He talked about his sister who had passed away. And before she ever texted him, she asked for Courtney's intercession. No. Oh yeah. Well, I'm goosebumps. So Jonathan got what? very Jonathan got very emotional when she told him that. And he said, the one concern I had always had about meeting someone was, would my sister love them? And he goes, I think. Courtney has answered that question. Mary. So pray for them. Oh my goodness. I anticipate some festivities next year. We'll see (laughs) what the Lord, what the Lord brings. Um, but pray for them and what's so beautiful about it. Neither one of them are young. (laughs) I I don't know. He's going to be 31. She's 28, but they're, they're just so filled with God's love. And, and they're just so like, they call each other at 10 o'clock at night and say the rosary before they go to bed. They're more Catholic than I am. (laughs) I'm like, really? Like, how did we get this kid? He's not a kid. He's a man. How did we get this grown man? Like it's proof to me, you know, God's faithfulness is so beautiful. And his, his provision and his protection of our family is so evident in everything. If we just surrender, I have been praying for this young woman since Jonathan was a year old. I have been praying actively for her to come into his life for the last 12 years. And here God answers this prayer in the most unexpected, beautiful way. And they meet broken person to broken person. And they're like, are all in. And they're like, okay, this is, you know, it's not perfect. Pray for him to get a better job with insurance. <laughs> you know, the it's not perfect. Yeah. <laughs> the logistics of it all, yeah. right? And that's the thing. Now we're down to logistics, and and so logistics can be fixed. You know that they can be improved with prayer and with perseverance and with fortitude and prudent uh, choices. So he's probably going to kill me that I shared that. But anyways, it's out there. It's fine.
0: How long? How long is this you know, been going on? The,
1: uh we are in month four, I think And it's
0: looking promising
1: so oh, oh, yes, sparkly things exist wow. and um wow. and and I think the holidays will bring some beautiful moments. Mary,
0: what is it like to be on this side of I always say the river, you know, what is mm. it like? here you are on the other side, and you're not weighing over three hundred pounds. you're not surviving every day yeah. you're not. Worried about your son finding, like, what is it like being on this side of the river?
1: I got to tell you, it's a little, um, it's unsettling. Just being completely honest, which is, I think, where my breakthrough came last week. Like I was still hanging on to the fear that it's all going to go away. And that's not how God works. And fear doesn't come from God. It comes from uh, the pits of hell and needs to go back there. Um, It's a beautiful, beautiful season to be in. It's a beautiful season to be in. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm smart enough and I've lived long enough and gone through enough to know that suffering will come and that, you know, difficulties and challenges will be there. I don't need to anticipate them. I just need to be present to what God needs me to do as I walk through them. So I'm learning to not anticipate gloom and doom. I'm learning to remain in the present moment, like Courtney taught us to remain. Like for six years now, she's been gone. And it's like, we forgot. We forgot what it was like to stay right there. Stay in the joy, stay in the moment. You haven't been given, you know, yesterday is gone. There's nothing you can do. You have not been given tomorrow. God's not blessed you with that now. Stay right there, right where he needs you to be. Be fully present to everything, good, bad, or indifferent and listen to his instruction, move your feet as he directs you to move your feet. So it is a beautiful place to be in. Um, It is just the most, I don't know the word, I don't have a word that really describes to look at him and to see him happy, truly, truly happy, to see him want to fight for someone that holds his heart, the way his dad has fought for me is, uh, it doesn't get better than that unless there's a grandchild in his arms and then it might get a little better, but, all in due time. you know, all in due time, but it's, um, it's a gift. And I, Jerry and I say all the time as difficult, you know, all the choices we made good, bad or indifferent to get to this moment and to be in this place, I would do it all again because God is good and he is faithful and he is true. And even as we continue to walk in grief and in sadness that our family is in by locating, you know, in heaven right now, um, God provides all we need and his dreams for us and his uh, expectation for our life is so much greater than we could ever imagine for ourselves.
0: I would think that the moral of your story is Your present day doesn't have to be your only day.
1: Amen. And don't quit. Don't quit on your life. Just don't quit on your life. God will never, ever quit on you. Don't quit on him. And and just expect miracles. I I don't think we live with expectant hope anymore. You know, especially in 2020 with all of this. Dumpster fire that is our, our world right now. We've lost our hope. We've lost our expectation of the cross and and the resurrection that follows. And moments like watching our son. Moments like um, you know a successful business venture. Moments like uh, coffee with your best friend. You know moments like watching a, a young couple get married or a new baby be born or or. You know, you get your favorite cookbook author comes out with a new cookbook that arrives from Amazon and you're so excited. You want to make the crispy chicken on page 37. You know, whatever it is, like we don't live in expectant hope. And that's what God asks us to do. He's like, I've already won the war. People are you not paying attention. The devil is a PMSing two-year-old in the corner. Leave him there. He doesn't win. So get off your butt and go do what I need you to do And make this world a better place to be. This is not your home. This is your hotel until you get here. But there's some things you need to do. There's a mission that only you have. And if you don't do it, it goes undone. Liv can't do my mission. I can't do your mission. You know, you can't do mine. We each have a job to do. And what my job is and has always been and has never ever wavered from when I was a little girl is to love other people, to see the dignity of them and who they are in God's eyes. And when I leave that person to make sure they know that they are seen, known, and loved by a God who wants nothing but greatness for them, whether they believe it of themselves or not, but to make sure they hear it. And whether that's over a cup of coffee or as I'm recommending a beauty counter product Or as I'm, you know, sharing my pie recipe, however the Lord brings us together, my job is to love you. And that's what my job is. My job is to speak about what true love looks like, not lust. My job is to share some of the darkest points of my life so that you know in the middle of your darkness, you're not walking alone. My job is to be the face of Christ to whomever I meet. And so some days I'm really good at it. Other days I totally suck. That's called being human. And I appreciate the sacraments more and more as each day goes by. I appreciate the sacrament of confession and reconciliation so much. The fact that we couldn't receive the Eucharist for so long and now we can, if if we're able, that's huge. I I missed him so much, but now we have him back, you know, where we can. Um, people. I love people. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you come from. I don't care if you've got Gucci or you've got Walmart. I just don't care. I care about you and I care about your heart and I care about when you look in the mirror, what do you see? Do you see what I see? Do you see your beauty? Do you see... Your intelligence, do you see the giftings that God has given you? Because I see them. Will you believe me when I tell you that? Or do we need to walk together for a while so you can hear God? That's my job. With my husband, with my son. If God so grants me this beautiful daughter-in-law, with her, with future generations, with the young people that come to my door who are so lost, and have never had a mother, even though... They have a mother, but she wasn't present. The young men that come to my husband because their father isn't strong enough to speak truth to them, but he is. Um, And anybody else in between. We just do the best we can with what we have. The beauty of what we've been given to bring honor and glory to God and for our own good. And God stands in the gap and takes the rest.
0: it's so obvious as to why you were chosen to be Courtney's mother, because (laughs) everything you just said applies to Courtney and that she was loved and seen and heard in a way that um, is so inspiring to others, but also for the dignity of herself while she was on this planet. And it's obvious why you were chosen out of all of us.
1: But see, I wasn't that woman when I had her. you weren't. But that's it was revealed the to you
0: later, you know, like now, oh, yes. you know, this she now got us all. as to, and that you really oh, yeah. were June Cleaver. You really were the mom mm-hmm. that it just wasn't the same mom that you thought there was no country club, you know, but nobody's right. going in there anyway. So yeah, no, no country, country club, club, but that's, but that's okay. okay. <laughs> you, know, you would have hated it anyway. You know, I
1: remember standing, we were standing at her grave on the day we buried her. And I remember holding Jerry's hand and Jonathan's hand. And I looked at both of them as they were lowering her body into the grave. And I said, may we never forget this moment. May we never forget the lessons that this little girl who couldn't speak, who couldn't walk, who couldn't do anything in a world that said she was useless and nothing but a drain of resources. May we never forget what she taught us. May we never forget it. Because that was the purpose of her life was to love, because that's all she was capable of, and be loved, and to bring people, without a word, to their knees in intercession, which meant that if you'd never prayed in intercession, you were meeting God for the first time, all because a little girl was in the ICU, and you felt bad for her. There are people that are a part of our church and that received the Lord because my daughter lived. And I was not afraid to share her life and the hardship of her life with people. So when I wrote my first book, Be Brave and the Scared, I wasn't joking. Because that's what she taught us to be, Be Brave and the Scared. And the second book of Be Bold and the Broken, I'm not joking there either, because I was very broken. And I still am, and I will always be. But yet, when you stand with a courageous heart, you become a warrior in a way you didn't know was possible. And God blesses that. And then he asks you to go fight for him. And that's the hard part. I'd rather stand there as a warrior and go tell other people to go fight for him. It's harder for me to go fight for him, but that's what he asks. And so my war room is a kitchen. My war room is my front porch. My war room is youth ministry. My war room is my back porch. It's my mom's house. It's my nieces and nephews. Schools, it's wherever he calls me to be in those relationships. And so we go and we fight another day. And then when he decides it's time, the fight will be done. And I pray with all that's in me, I get to stand at those gates and they open and I'm allowed in. Because I know there's a young lady who's waiting to hold her mom again. And I'm waiting to do the same. I'm right next to her is my dad waiting to see his girl. So that's where I want to be, you know, cause Jesus is there too, but I'd like to see a few other people, you know, <laughs> I'm sure I'll be so overwhelmed in the moment. I won't care. I, I had this dream once where um, Courtney was laughing at me. Cause I was like, I wanted to see her. And Courtney was like, seriously, mom, that's <laughs> Jesus. Like get over yourself. Like, I'm fine. We're fine. Just go like, really? did you not learn anything? And I thought, okay, Lord, thank you for that. <laughs> you're still human, Mary, even though here. you're like,
0: we like to think yeah. that you're not, you are, and you share your humanity so generously with us all. And I think if anything, you did succeed and get your dream because there's nothing more than quote unquote, being the greatest mom in the world than having to sacrifice. And if anybody I know in my life, who's yeah. had a sacrifice as a mother, you would absolutely be the person that I would offer as the greatest example of that. I'm sure you have a very big connection to Mary and understand a lot of things oh, that that she was asked to do that you've been asked to do and did you do it perfectly every time? No, but you did it and you chose and those are all choices yeah. and that's where we can applaud you as your friends and the people that love you and say thank you for your yes and for and then sharing it with us because that's also something you don't have to do and that is very kind and generous. So, as far as I'm concerned, you did, you did end up as a mom with a thousand kids and all the things. I do. I have quite you a few children. Need more specific yes. specific next time. Like maybe you didn't tell God yes. about the pearls in the club. You I should. didn't. Next time, I, it know, I thought he already knew.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> His, I need to put it in my journal. Like, did you not maybe hear he this part? Maybe, you know, like we we, we give
0: him that. <laughs> he just needed more direction, that God. So there you, you go. wrote on him. Guys, this is a joke. <laughs> Mary and I know that God.
1: We're We're, we're joking. We're good.
0: Mary, this has been, of course, obviously fantastic and phenomenal, and I don't ever want it to end, but I think people probably are like, okay, guys. Uh
1: (laughs) Which is typical of you and I. (laughs) If Catherine were here, if Texas were here, she'd be like, really? Like, you're talking 20 minutes over here, people. Let's go. She
0: would have separated us. Catherine is our, she's our ref. She's constantly saying, Mary, no, live stop it. So I always need her yes. everywhere I go. She's going to be my, my bouncer. Um, that's Catherine Whitaker that we're talking about. Okay. So friend, where can people find you? If by shockingly, they don't know where can they <laughs> find you? And I'll put it in the show notes for the three people who um, haven't can, heard of
1: you. You know, I speak all over the world. So is where you can ask that. I'm on Instagram. That's where I, I love to be. Um, social media wise, love it there. Um, you know, you just look up my name. I'm on Facebook, not, not as often as Instagram, but yeah, just, uh, you can email me. I answer my own direct messages, my own email. I am a real person. Very we, will put it,
0: we will put it all in there. I am a real person. Very,
1: that's right. Very, pre- very yeah. present in my ministry. It, so there is no one coming team. out soon. There's
0: just, there's just yeah. Mary.
1: Yeah. The new, the new book, Be Bold in the Broken comes out March, 2021. Fantastic.
0: Praise God for that. And I hope that that's going to be the beginning of the world coming out. It will be March, 2021. I pray that we are starting at least, or I don't know, emerging into yeah, real let's world hope again. So. Mary, I love you to pieces. I, love I you can't to thank you enough. And, uh, Hey everybody, team Jonathan,
1: <laughs> JJ, Jonathan and that's Jessica. Right. Pray. So here's the prayer. You just got to pray that a job within medical insurance, got better it. than what he has. That's all. We'll be That's specific we this time. <laughs> yes, very specific. I've been very specific. <laughs> so if not. he didn't hear the pearls. He's going to hear this <laughs> Forget one. Forget the pearls. Where were the pearls, God? We just want medical
0: insurance. Yeah, oh, where the pearls? Okay. <laughs> all right, friend. Yep. Love you to death. Thank you so much.
1: Blessings, Lib. Thanks for having me. Love you.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to talk to me with liv harrison i have had a complete blast meeting up with these people through the airwaves bringing stories to life and getting into spaces that I didn't even know exist and I couldn't do it without you so truly thank you for listening I really appreciate everyone who has subscribed and if you haven't I would love to invite you now because I don't want you to miss one of these stories please continue to share with your friends and family that helps me more than you can understand on your social media through email text a friend and if you could leave a review I would really love it. That would be fantastic, especially if it's five stars. You guys, I am bringing more content to you. I want you to stay tuned. But remember, you are extraordinary.